0: The best book I ever read, one of the best books I've ever read outside of the Bible, is called Experiencing God by a guy named Henry Blackaby. In the book, Henry Blackaby gives seven realities to experiencing God. Um, One is that God is always at work around you. The second is that God pursues a love-based relationship with you that is real and personal. God invites you to become involved with Him and His work. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal Himself, His purposes, and His ways. God's invitation for you to work with Him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what He is doing. You come to know God by experience as you obey Him, and He accomplishes His work through you. Now, all of these are great and important. As I said, it's a really good book. A few of these are really pertinent to our study in Ezra and Nehemiah. First and foremost is that God is always at work around us. I mean, that's the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. We can easily forget that. But Ezra and Nehemiah were one book originally in the Hebrew. And they begin with God stirring the heart of a pagan king to send the exiled people of God back to Jerusalem so that they can rebuild his temple. Once Cyrus has issued the decree that that is possible, God then stirs the heart of His people to go back to Jerusalem and begin to work. So it was, the whole story of Ezra and Nehemiah is that God was at work in the world around them. It was God who did it all. Now, a key conviction for us here in our day and in our time is that we must believe that God is at work in Gima as well. That just as God was at work then to accomplish His will in Jerusalem, that God is at work in Ghana. It's easy for us to to read about something going on in some far off place and, and say, well man, that is great that God is doing that there. But miss the reality that the God who is at work way out there somewhere is also the God who is at work in our town, in our community, in our church as well. But in Gaiman there are lost people that God wants to save. But in Gaiman there are prodigals that God wants to restore. In Gaiman there are broken hearts that God wants to heal. In Gaiman there are captives that God wants to set free. In Gaiman there are ruptured relationships that God wants to restore. In Gaiman there is so much more that God wants to do in and through our community and through His people. Right, and as the people of God and Guyman, and as disciples of Jesus, we must be convinced that this is true. We must be convinced that our God is at work in our church and in our community. And then once we embrace that idea as true, then we have to face the reality that God then invites us to be a part of what He is doing. He invites us to get involved with Him in His work. Now what what God wants to do in Gaiman, He wants to do through our church. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to work through the Northridge Free Will Baptist Church to save the lost, to restore the prodigals, to heal broken hearts, to set captives free, to restore ruptured relationships and do far more than we could ever ask or imagine? We should. I mean, God God planted this church. God has built this church and God has preserved this church all of these years for this very reason. This is why we exist. This is why God wants our church in Guyman, Oklahoma. And while God wants to work through the Northridge Free Will Baptist Church to accomplish his mission in Guyman, I have to remind us that there is no nebulous entity called the Northridge Free Will Baptist Church that does these things. Instead, there's there's us. Right? whatever Our church is. That is a reflection of who we are as individual followers of Jesus Christ. Whatever our church does is a reflection of who we are as disciples of Jesus as a part of this church. Right? God wants to work through you to accomplish His will in Guymon, Oklahoma. Not not just me because I'm the pastor. Not just the deacons because they're deacons. Not some highly trained missionary we might bring in, but through you. God is inviting you to join Him on His mission of saving the lost. God is inviting you to be a part of His mission in restoring the prodigals. God is inviting you to be a part of His mission to heal broken hearts. God is inviting you to be a part of His mission. To set captives free. God is inviting you to be a part of His mission to restore ruptured relationships. God is inviting you to be a part of His mission of the so much more that He wants to do in our town. Now knowing this, it brings us to a place that what Blackaby calls a crisis of belief that requires action. Because once we know that God is at work in Guinness, and once we know that God invites us to join him on this mission, we have a decision to make. Will we accept God's invitation and join him or will we not? And accepting this invitation, it requires faith and action. Faith to believe that God is at work. Faith to believe that God wants to work through me. And that faith must lead us to do something. It always does. And faith and action require us, as Blackaby says, to make adjustments to our life as we join God in what he's doing. Now, Blackaby says major adjustments, and sometimes it may well require major adjustments in our lives. If we are already devoted to Jesus and serving Jesus, then it will still require adjustments, but they may well be more minor adjustments to adjust to what God is doing and what God wants us to join him. In doing, But there will be adjustments that have to be made. And then once we make these adjustments and we begin to have faith and to obey. As Blackaby says, we will know God by experience. As he works through us and in us to accomplish his mission in Gaiman. You know, there are ways of knowing God we miss out on. When we aren't working with God to accomplish his mission in the world around us. There are experiences with God that we miss out on. When we are not working with Him to accomplish His mission in the world around us. And as Baptists, as free will Baptists, we don't talk a lot about kinds of knowledge we can have of God. A kind of relationship we can have or the kind of experiences we can have. But I think we should. I think we should talk more about those sorts of things. right? Because what this does is this reminds us that we we work with God not because we have to. But we don't serve God so that He doesn't smite us. We don't serve God because if we don't, He's going to burn down our house or break our legs. But we don't serve God, because we're we don't even serve God because we're supposed to. We serve God. We work with God because in doing so we get to know Him better. In doing so, we get to experience Him more. But that, that we love God, we want to know Him better, we want to experience Him more. And so we'll do whatever it takes to gain this knowledge, to gain this greater experience of the goodness, the greatness, the majesty of God in our lives. So what do we need to do if we're going to work with God to accomplish His mission and guidance? Well, open your Bible to Ezra 3. That's what we're going to talk about tonight should be page 363 if you have a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to you to stand on honor the reading of God's Word. Ezra 3 and 1, it says, And when the seventh month had come, the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of... Shilatel, his brethren, arose to build the altar of God and to burn offerings on it as it is written, the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of the countries, they set altars on its basis and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the feast of the tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings on the number of required ordinances for each day. Afterward, they offered the regular burnt offering, those in the new moons for all the appointed feasts, of the Lord that were consecrated and of everyone who willingly offered free will offerings to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not yet been laid. They also gave money to the masons and carpenters, food and drink and oil the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon from the sea to Joppa, according to permission which they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of... Shalitiel, Jeshua the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests, and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity of Jerusalem, began to work, and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee the work of the house of God. And the sons of Henadad with their sons, the brethren of the Levites, when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their, in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of the King David of Israel. And they sang responsibly in praising, giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good and His mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the, Lord was laid, of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites, the head of the Father's house, old men, who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice from the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. The title of the message tonight is Working with God. Let's pray. Our Father, we love You tonight. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We thank You. Lord, that You are at work around us. We thank You, God, that You invite us to be a part of this work Help us, Lord, to hear that call. Help us, Father, to understand that, Lord, there is so much that you want to do in our town and in our church. And you want to do this through us. Let us be inspired, Father, by your word. And by the, and just give us a, a deep desire, Lord, to join you in whatever it is that you would have us to do. Let us be like the prophet Isaiah to say, here am I. Send me to whatever it is you have for us, God. Tonight, Lord, speak to us through your word. Open our hearts and minds to receive it. Help us to see the kind of work that we need to do so that we can join you on your mission and guide. And Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit tonight. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. Be glorified in everything that happens and how we respond. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So the story thus far is the people arrive in Jerusalem. They settle in and they get to work rebuilding the temple as God wanted. That's really kind of what we see happen here. Now several months pass from the beginning of the chapter to the end and they get a lot done in those months and they they reestablish the worship of God. They lay the foundation for the rebuilding of the temple. Right? They were working with God to accomplish the mission of God. and, And that's really the key lesson for us is that we work with God to accomplish the mission of God. That's what we... Want to do? That's what we want to know. That's how we want to live. And what I want to do tonight is, from this passage, I want to show us four ways that we have to work with God if we want to help Him, if we want to work with Him to accomplish the mission of God. Right? The first one is we have to work biblically. Right? If you look at verse two, it says, "I'm not going to read the names again. That was bad enough the first time around." But they began to offer burnt offerings. On the altar as it is written. Then in verse 4 it says. They kept the feast of the tabernacles. As it is written. And even if you look over in verse 10. It says that they. They praised the Lord. According to the ordinance. Of David the king of Israel. But in all of that. What it is just saying is. That when they came back. And they began to work with God. They understood that God had already given some instructions. They understood that God had already laid out some Things that they were supposed to do. So they they basically dug into God's word. They found out what it was they were supposed to do. And they started doing that. Right? They started by reestablishing. Rebuilding the altar like God said. They offered the sacrifices on it like God said. They kept the feast like God said. Now as they did this, there were two aspects of their, their following scripture that stood out to me. One is just the difficulty of what they did. Right, It says in verse 4 that they kept the, the Feast of the, tabor, the feast of Tabernacles. Now, for most of us, that really doesn't mean much, but it's a pretty significant issue for what they did. Because during the Feast of Tabernacles, what you were supposed to do was go out in the streets and basically live in a temporary shelter. Uh, in a lot of ways, what they were supposed to do was go out and get sticks and twigs and branches and build a shelter and stay in the street and offer sacrifices and live like that. It was a reminder Of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It was a reminder. Of of the fact that at one point in time. Their people were slaves. And God delivered them out of that slavery. And in the process of delivering them. They lived in temporary shelters. Kind of as wanderers and nomads. And now God had given them a home of their own. But they would go out in the streets. They would live in those tabernacles. And they would remind themselves. Of what God had done. Right. And that's what they're doing here. They're. Re-remembering, I guess you'd say, what God had done. But this was like a week-long festival. Right? And, and to me what stood out is, they had just kind of barely made it home. I mean, they they had not been home from captivity all of that long. They had probably just barely settled in. had probably just barely unloaded all the boxes and got everything put up where it needed to go. And now... Because of the time of the year it was, they were meant to go out into the streets and live in temporary shelters. It would have been easy for them to say, we'll do this next year. This year, God's going to understand, we just got home. We just got settled in. Next year we'll do it, but not right now. But they didn't do that. In my mind, I I see them kind of saying, this is inconvenient. But we're going to do it anyway because this is what God wants us to do. This is what Scripture says we're supposed to do. second thing that stood out is their commitment to Scripture despite how different this was from what they had previously done. But in the years leading up to the Babylonian captivity, they had let most of these festivals go by the wayside. I mean, in the years of their pride, in the years of their spiritual adultery against God... They weren't moving out of their houses and living in the streets and temporary shelters that they were making. It seems unlikely to me that while they were in exile in Babylon, that they moved out of their houses and lived in temporary shelters in the street, the way Scripture had said. Uh, they were, What they were doing now was something probably had not been done by them, many of them ever in their life, by the older ones that had seen the temple probably maybe not even in their life because this just wasn't the way the Israelites were living before God brought judgment into Babylon and took them into Babylon the people that lived around them they weren't doing this not right? the people that had that Cyrus had, or the kings of Nebuchadnezzar had brought into the land of it, they weren't worshipping God in this way So what they were doing was different than anything they had done in their life. It was different than everybody that lived around them. But what they said was, this is what God has said. This is what Scripture has told us we're going to do. And so we're going to do it anyway. Now these are both tremendous lessons for us as we seek to work with God to accomplish the mission of God. We cannot work with God without following the Word of God. I and mean, that's kind of what, that's what we have in Scripture. What we have in Scripture, it is the Word of God. And that means what Scripture says, God says. And that's important because Amos 3.3 3 says that two cannot walk together unless they're in agreement. So if the direction God is walking, so to speak, is the direction set forth in Scripture, then how do we have to walk if we want to walk with God? We have to walk according to Scripture too. But if we want to walk with God and and do the mission of God and work with God, then we have to follow Scripture. We don't have an option. We cannot go in any other way and yet still be working with God in our lives. right? we must walk the way God walks, and that is the path of Scripture. As I said, God is at work in guidance. And in this work, He wants to save the lost. He wants to restore the prodigal. He wants to set captives free. He wants to heal broken hearts. He wants to restore ruptured relationships. He wants to do more than we can imagine. But if we want to join Him in this, then we have to follow Scripture. We have to follow Scripture in the way that we minister to others. We have to follow Scripture in the way that we live our own lives. We have to follow Scripture. And what it says the mission of the church is. We have to follow scripture. And who it says Jesus is. And what it says Jesus came to do. God has the final say in all of these areas. And he has spoken once and for all about it. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. But I mean, it is. It is settled. All of the answers to these things. If scripture has spoken on that That is settled. It's not up for debate. It's not up for a vote. It's not up for renegotiation. It's settled. Like the Israelites returning from exile, as we seek to work with God to do the mission of God, we need to search the scriptures and do as it is written. And we need to do it this way if it's different than anything we've ever done before. We need to do it this way if it's difficult. We need to do it this way if it's inconvenient. We need to do it this way if the people around us think it's weird. We need to do it this way no matter what. If we want to work with God to accomplish the mission of God, we must work biblically. Secondly, we must work courageously. Look at verse 3. It says, Though fear had come upon them because of the people of the countries." They rebuilt the altars. They began to offer sacrifices even though they were afraid of the people who lived around them. Now this is the first real hint of opposition that we see in the book of Ezra. At this point, everything has just been golden for them. God stirs Cyrus's heart and he does all of these things that he does. God stirs the people's heart and they do all the things that they do. Everything has gone great. But they get back to their homeland And the people living there are already in opposition to them. Now opposition is going to be a major theme in Ezra and Nehemiah. Because the enemy always opposes the work of God. That's just the way it's always going to go. In fact we start seeing more of the opposition in chapter 4 when we get there. But despite facing opposition. Despite being afraid because of the opposition. They still worked with God to accomplish the mission of God. They still rebuilt the altar. They still offered the sacrifices. They still rebuilt the temple foundation. They still did all of those things. Because that's what they were supposed to do. They, they took courage and did what they were supposed to do despite being afraid. Opposition to the work and the mission of God, it is a reality. It always has been and it always will be. And in that time of seeking to to work with God, to accomplish the mission of God, when the opposition arises, there will be a temptation to let fear keep us from working with God. There will be a temptation to let fear keep us from doing the things that God would have us to do. Everybody faces that. I, I like this verse. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Now this is Paul. What a great verse, right, from the Apostle Paul. What a, an honest and an open moment. Trouble on every side. Well, that was pretty constant with Paul. Outside were conflicts. Again, pretty constant with Paul. Paul, everywhere he went, enemies followed him. Enemies tried to stir up trouble. But notice that last part. Fear on the inside. That's in him. Paul was afraid. All of the opposition he faced, all of the people that were against him as he sought to preach the gospel, to do the mission of God, made Paul on the inside feel afraid. How great is it to know that fear in doing the work of God is not a sign of being pitiful or pathetic. It's just a sign that we're human. We're just people who live in a world and we suffer the same sort of things everybody else Suffers Even the great Apostle Paul wrestled with fears on the inside as he sought to work with God to accomplish the mission of God. Now, of course, what I thought is if Paul wrestled with fears on the inside, how much more are we? How much more are we going to experience this kind of fear that would keep us from doing the work of God? And what will happen in that time is it will take courage. For us to choose to work with God. To accomplish the mission of God. Despite being afraid. But God will give us the courage that we need. This is a good verse to commit to memory. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power and love. And of a sound mind. Fear tempts us not to do the work of God. But we can reject that fear. Because we know that fear is not of God. And that's a key thing the fear that would come upon us that would keep us from doing what God would have us to do, that is never, never from God. So when I seek to say, I'm going to work with God and I'm going to try to work to accomplish the mission of God, and then that fear sets in, the temptation to be, well, maybe that's God telling me this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Maybe this is God saying, no, not right now. But fear that keeps me from doing the will of God is never from God. For God has not and never will give us a spirit of fear. But what does God give us? A spirit of of power to do His will. Of love to overcome our fear. And of a sound mind or some translations say self-control to choose to do what we know we're supposed to do despite being afraid. It has always taken courage to do the work of God. And it will always take courage. To do the work of God. We don't often associate courage. With working with God. Unless we associate with someone. That goes to some far off place. To work with God. And surely. It takes courage. To uproot yourself and your family. To go to some far off land. Some far off city. And begin to try to share Jesus with those people. To work with God there. But make no mistake. It takes no less courage to do the work of God in a town where you know everybody and everybody knows you. It takes no less courage to join God on His mission among people that you know well than it does to join God on His mission in a city where you don't know anybody. It just does. It is courageous to work with God to accomplish the mission of God. In the midst of a people who have known you for years. Because. It's kind of the problem with being known isn't it? When you're unknown. Everybody can just always assume. The very best about you. They're just a wonderful person. And they don't have any struggles or trials. They're like superheroes. But when you're known. Well people have seen you act ugly at Walmart. People have seen you ran on Facebook. People have seen you. Do things they they know you shouldn't have done. They remember you from high school. They remember the times that you told an off-color joke. They, They remember and they know all of that stuff. And fear. Fear will say they'll never listen to you. Your witness is tarnished. No one will care what you have to say. But that's not God. That's not God. That's the enemy. And courage says they may remember that but I'm going to work with God anyway. I'm still going to do what I can to help accomplish the mission of God. If we want to work with God to accomplish the mission of God, we will have to work courageously. It's just a part of the way it goes. So we want to work. We want to work biblically. We want to work courageously. but Then we want to work diligently. We're not going to read verses 8 through 10, but that's where they start on Building, laying the foundation of the temple. And there's, really in this whole chapter, there's just a lot of hard work that goes on. Rebuilding the altars. That's a a big project. The sacrifices. I mean, it doesn't go into great detail about the sacrifices other than to say they offered the burnt offerings as it was written. Right? But if you've read Leviticus, is it pretty detailed and and is there a lot of work involved in the sacrifices they have to make? Man, I mean, it's an enormous project. To offer the kind of sacrifices that God required of them at this time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of sacrifice on their part. And then to to lay the foundation of the temple. Now I I don't know that I can prove this from scripture. But I think. I think I'm right in saying. The temple was still largely just a pile of rubble. I mean the Babylonians didn't clear it off. So that it would be clean and pretty. When they would want to come back and rebuild the, the temple. The pagans who didn't worship God, that they didn't care about the big pile of rubble that was there. They weren't going to worship there anyway. So I think, and if you want to disagree with me, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you. But I think there was still largely a great big pile of rubble. So what do they have to do before they can lay the foundation. They have to haul off boulders. They have to haul off rocks. They have to smash things up. They have to relay the foundation. Now, I've never laid any foundation of any house, but I know some of you have. Is that a lot of work bigger the house, the more of the work it is. The temple is a big thing. There's a lot of work that's going on in this chapter. A lot of time, a lot of effort. The old saying says about blood, sweat, and tears. I'm sure that applies here. All of that stuff was shed here. Working with God to accomplish the mission of God in Gaiman is going to require blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to require us to work diligently just as it did then. Because as I said, God wants to work in Gaiman. Save the loss, restore the backslider, heal the broken hearts, restore ruptured relationships, set captives free, and so much more. And, and that's an exciting thought that God wants to do this, but, but here's the key question. How? How does God do this? He does it through us as we do the work. He does it through us as we work hard, as we work diligently. You and I, we are God's plan A. And there is no plan B. God is not going to send angels to share the gospel with the lost people in our town. God is not going to send angels to restore the prodigals in our town. Angels aren't going to go restore ruptured relationships, heal the brokenhearted, minister to those in need. It's going to be us. If the work gets done, We're the ones that are going to do it. And if the work doesn't get done. It's because we're the ones that didn't step up. And do it. I mean that's just the way. God has set things in order. That's the way God has determined to do. And if we're going to. See souls saved in Gaiman. It's a lot of hard work. Blood sweat and tears. Because hearts are hard in Gaiman. People don't care about the gospel. They don't care. About Jesus Christ. Storing the prodigals. It's hard work. Blood, sweat and tears. They're prodigals for a reason. They've chosen to walk away. They've chosen to reject God. There's resistance to the gospel. To Jesus. In their lives. Healing broken hearts. Blood, sweat and tears. Hearts are broken for something significant usually. Hard, hard to help in those times. Blood, sweat and tears to set captives free. The longer somebody's been in captivity to sin, to a false doctrine, to drugs, anything along those lines, the more entrenched it is in their life, the harder it is to get them set free. The more effort we have to put forth in their life. Ruptured relationships. Ever tried to fix one of those? Blood, sweat, and tears. Hard work. And Whatever else God has to do, whatever else God wants to do in this town, it requires blood, sweat, and tears from us. It just does. We have to be willing to work. We have to be willing to work when it's convenient. And more often than not. We have to be willing to work when it's not convenient. We have to be willing to work when it's easy. And then more often than not. We have to be willing to work when it's not. We have to be willing to work when we're encouraged. And we have to be willing to work when we're discouraged. God has given a promise associated with working diligently though. And we have to claim this and hold on to it. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So there is a harvest we will reap from all the good that we're trying to do. The blood, sweat, and tears we're shedding in working with God to accomplish His mission. But the not growing weary, the not giving up, that's the key to it all. There are going to be times it feels like we are banging our head against a wall. I would like to say, in my notes I say, while there may be, I'm not going to say there may be. There will be. That's a guarantee. I promise you there will be. And while it may be, there will be times where it feels like we are wasting our time. The reality is different than how we feel and how it seems there will be times where we feel like giving up because we've grown weary in doing good. But what we have to do is keep on going. I've often wondered how many times we've missed out on seeing that harvest come. Not because things weren't working, not because God wasn't at work, but because we grew weary and we gave up just a little too soon. Uh, We can't answer that, and God's not going to tell us. But what we can do is say from this point on, that's not the way it's going to be. From this point on, I'm going to shed all the blood, sweat, and tears. I have to. I'm going to do everything I can, all that I have to. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to work with God to accomplish the mission of God, and I am going to work diligently until God calls me home, God calls them home, or I see that harvest come. Work biblically, work courageously, work diligently, and finally work cooperatively. Notice in verse 1 that they gathered in Jerusalem as one man. There's another verse where it says the same sort of an idea that they gathered together as as one person. To me, this was sort of a a parallel to Paul saying that, that the church, we should strive together with one heart and one mind for the gospel. Working with God to the mission of God, it took all of them together to get the work done. But there was no one person that was going to rebuild the altar, make the sacrifices, and lay the foundation. There was no two or three people that were going to do all of the work. In order to do all that happened in this chapter, all that God has sent them back to Jerusalem to do, it's going to take all of them. I mean, there are. we talked about it the last time, which was quite a while ago. We were in there. But if you look at chapter 2, I mean, there's just a long list of people. That's a lot of people that served, that helped. It took a lot of people working together to accomplish the mission, to rebuild the altar, to make the sacrifices, to rebuild the temple, to find the stuff for the shelter, to do all the things that needed to be done. The work that God wants to do in Gaiman, It's immense. It it, it is. It's easy enough to think we're in the Bible belt, so everybody here probably knows Jesus. That reality, I mean, that is not the reality. That is far from the truth. I've said before that our town, the the basic church attendance of our town is less than like 15%. I mean, it's just a little bit higher than it is, say, in China, where it's more or less illegal to be a Christian. (laughs) That's, that's our town. People are resistant to the gospel here. Many people are captives to sin, to drugs, to false doctrines in our town. Lots of people are lost. Lots of prodigals exist in this town. Lots of ruptured relationships in our town. Lots of other things that God can fix and wants to fix in our town. I, in fact, I talked to somebody just to give you an idea of of things, I talked to somebody just a week ago who said who's friends with someone that's like over DHS for all of western Oklahoma from like Alva to Boy City. Guyman and Tyrone are the two worst places in Oklahoma for teenage sex trafficking. Not so much being sold and taken somewhere else, but 10, 12, 13, 14 year old girls being prostituted, forcibly prostituted. Diamond and Tyrone, two worst places in all of Oklahoma. That's our town. That's that's right here. That's an immense problem. God can fix it. God can overcome all of that. But ain't no one of us going to do it. It'll take everybody working together. It takes all of us being on the same team, working cooperatively. It's absolutely necessary. I mean, just think about the pictures that Paul uses to describe the church to see how important working cooperatively is the body and a family. How many of you ever tried to do something with your family and somebody wasn't cooperating? You ever have a, a kid that didn't cooperate? How did that make things go? How did that how did that how did that event happen? It was troublesome, wasn't it? Strife, misery, didn't happen well, not fun. Or your body, if you have a part of your body that just didn't cooperate and work like it's supposed to, hinders everything, doesn't it? So what happens when the church isn't working cooperatively? It's not fun. It's not accomplishing the mission. It won't do what it needs to do. When we won't work cooperatively, it hinders what God can do through our church. It hinders what God will do through our church. It, it hinders what God wants to do through our church. It just does. Now we do see a picture of the breakdown in unity here though. There is a breakdown. Now look at verse 12. They rebuild the, the altars and they worship, begin to worship. Because how awesome is that? The temple is being rebuilt after all these years. But many of the priests and Levites, heads of the Father's houses, as an old man who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not discern the noise and the shout of the joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far off. Now for most of my life I thought this was a picture of people responding differently to God. Some people respond to the work of God with shouts of joy. Some people respond to the work of God with tears, just weeping at the goodness and the greatness of God. But that is not what's going on in this passage. Rather what's happening here is that really what you see is the younger people who have never seen the temple in person are shouting for joy. The the foundation of the temple is being laid. The older people who remember the old temple, they're crying because the temple is going to look differently than it did before. Now remember the prophet Haggai is a contemporary of Zerubbabel who's leading all of this. In fact, we're likely to look at Haggai next week as it takes place sometime after verse 13 here. Um, But before the temple is rebuilt, but look at what Haggai, what God says through Haggai to the people. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its form of glory, and, now you, and how do you see it now? In comparison with it, the form of glory, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Now, God sort of reveals, reads their mind, and reveals what they're thinking about as they look at the new temple. As they look at the foundation, they realize some things about the new temple. It's going to be somewhat smaller. They don't have the resources to make it as big as they did before. It's not going to be as fancy. Because again they don't have the resources to overlay so many things with gold. And to make it look as shiny as it did before. So what we see here is as these people who remember the former glory of the temple. As they look at what they, what's going to happen. They're not looking and they're not seeing that God's at work in their midst and rejoicing over it. Rather, as they look at it, they missed what they consider to be the glory days of the temple. And they lament. They're weeping and they're crying. Some are happy. God is at work. We're working with God. God's temple is going to be rebuilt. Whoa, this is wonderful. And others are going, But it's going to be different. It's not like I remember it, it's not the way it was. And the result of this breakdown. In unity is, is noise. Right? Because look at verse 13. So the people could not discern. The noise of the shout of joy. From the noise of weeping. It was heard a long ways off. The people of the land of the pagans. They heard what was going on there. But rather than hearing. The people of God rejoicing. Over the fact that God was at work. among his people. That his work was being done. What they heard. Was just a bunch of noise. What they could have heard. Was the sound of the people of God. Worshipping God. Praising God. Rejoicing in the fact that their God was good. And He was there. And He was at work. But what they heard. Was just. A jumble of. Clanging. And noise. They couldn't discern if it was good. Or if it was bad. How terrible is that? It's also, I think, worth mentioning that part of the reason Haggai writes his book or that he begins to prophesy is because the work has ceased. Sometime after verse 13, the people just stop. They lay the foundation. They have this big noisy service. but They don't go any further in the work. And I wonder, and I again, I can't prove this, so if you want to disagree, that's fine. But I wonder, could it be that those who were lamenting discouraged those who were rejoicing to the point that they gave up? Could it be that those who were saying, God is here and God is at work, this is awesome. We're constantly hearing, but it's not the way it used to be. But I don't like it this way. Oh, what about the way it was? Until they just said, I feel stupid rejoicing in this. Why should I be happy? Why should I do the work? It's never going to be as good as that. There's always going to be someone crying and whining and complaining. I'm just going to quit and give up. Is it possible? That's what happened. I I think it is. I think it is. The mission of God won't be accomplished in God without us working cooperatively. And part of working cooperatively is accepting that things won't be done the way they've always been done. And things won't be done always the way that we want them to be done. Part of working cooperatively, it is accepting that we won't always get our way. The way we want things to done isn't always going to be the way it's done. And really I was thinking that's not actually strong enough. It's not only accepting that things won't always be done our way. It's also working cooperatively with others. When things don't go our way. When things don't go the way that we prefer. Without the constant lamenting that things aren't going the way we prefer. Part of working cooperatively. is If it's not the way we want, we work anyway. But we don't just go around and say. I wish it would be done this way. I remember when I was a kid it was done like this. Oh, I, I wanted it to be this way, but I, I'll do it. I'll go with it. I mean, I want to be a helper. Right? That's not working cooperatively. If you can't do what you don't prefer without constantly letting everyone know that what you're, what's being done isn't what you prefer, you are not working Cooperatively. Rather, you are passively aggressively causing strife to ensure you get your way. You are being passive aggressive. You are making everyone miserable with the goal of making what you don't prefer stop so that everyone goes back and does what you prefer. And more likely than not, what will happen is that we discourage those who are trying to work cooperatively. And trying to accomplish the mission of God. And they will quit. And the work of God will come to a screeching halt. None of us, <laughs> as we work together, are ever going to always get our way about the way we think things ought to be done. And we have to be grown up, spiritually and emotionally enough to say, That's okay. And then jump in and shout with joy at what God is doing in the way that we don't prefer. And not lament and discourage the people who are shouting with joy. We work with God to accomplish the mission of God, but we must work cooperatively to do this. God is at work in Gaiman. He wants to work in us, through us, for us to save the lost. To restore the backsliders. To heal broken hearts. To set captives free. To restore ruptured relationships and do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's absolutely certain. God invites us to join with Him in this work. That too is absolutely certain. The only question is, will we answer that call? Will we join with God? Will we commit to working biblically? And whatever the Bible says, that's the standard. Will we commit to working courageously, to not let our fear of what others may think or what the enemy is doing keep us from doing that work? Will we work diligently? Not just when it's easy. Not just when we're encouraged. Not just when we're seeing a lot of fruit. But always. Blood, sweat, and tears. And will we work cooperatively? Will we surrender our will and our wants and our preferences for the good of our community and the glory of God in this town? Or will we not? Each of us have to make our own answer to that question. My prayer is that each of us and more would say, here am I, send me. God is not, we have not yet seen what God can do in Gaiman through our church if we will answer his call and work with him in the way that he wants us to work with him. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, guide us tonight to hear your call.